Well, good morning, and we are glad that you are here at Flint Central Church of the Nazarene today. Just yesterday was the Convoy of Hope event down in Bassett Park in Flint. And, and just to give you a few statistics of what took place yesterday, there were 2,161 guests, 692 volunteers, so a total number of people on the site was 2,853. There were, we were the Point Church, and Joy Tabernacle, whose pastor, Pastor McCatherine, will be here next Sunday. Joy Tabernacle is the host church. We're the Point Church, but there were 41 other churches that participated, and there were a total of 98 organizations there. We gave out 4,860 bags of groceries, 2,060 bags of produce. We gave away 1,364 pairs of shoes, gave family portraits to 416 people, haircuts to 219. Health services served 761. There were 217 eye checkups. 362 people went through the jobs tent. Six employers were there. They conducted on-site 42 interviews. 363 women were served in the breast cancer awareness tent. 304 veterans were served. But here's my two favorite numbers of that, that... that number, 1,874 people were prayed over. Doc and I were, were praying over folks. And of that number, 25 people accepted Jesus yesterday at Bassett Park. So I'd say that was a pretty good day. Well, last week we began this conversation. And we, we called it really Awakening Our G- Dreams. And we started talking about what would happen if God answered the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. You remember that prayer, uh, uh, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. And we say in Flint, in Davison, in Burton, and and, in Grand Blank, in Flushing, in Fenton, and wherever, right here, as it is in heaven. What happens if, if, if God decided to answer that prayer? See, I think God wants to answer that prayer. Jesus wouldn't have taught us to pray it. If, if he didn't think God was going to answer it. And so that just doesn't make sense. So Jesus taught us to pray that prayer, expecting God to answer that prayer. And if God answers that prayer, what will happen? That was where we, we were, were talking last week. And, and what will that look like? If God's will is done and his kingdom comes on earth, in Flint, in Davison, in Burton, in Flushing, in Fenton, in Swartz Creek, in wherever... It happens right here as it's done in heaven. How is it done in heaven? Well, it's done perfectly in heaven, isn't it? I mean, right on time, no troubles, no, no heartaches, no problems. In heaven, it's done perfect. And so if his will is done and his kingdom comes right here on earth as it is in heaven, if, if, if God answers that huge, massive prayer, because that would be a pretty big prayer to be answered, what will that look like? Paul, we looked at last week, encouraged us to pray and he said now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine now i don't know about you i got a pretty good imagination and i think god can do some wonderful things right around here and if god's kingdom came and his will was done right here in flint as it is in heaven then it seems like there would be wholeness and it seems like there would be peace and there'd be healing and there'd be reconciliation and there'd be love for one another and all the things that that sometimes we struggle with here on earth would would be reflected in God and and the perfect will of God that is in heaven. That'd be an awesome, awesome thing. He is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. If God answers that prayer, and last week we talked about him answering that prayer in the context of our church. In, in our priorities, in our connecting points, connect to God, connect to each other, connect to the community, connect to the world. 
He said, if, if God did that in five years, it would transform this place. Well, today I want us to keep on dreaming and keep on imagining with our holy imagination about what Jesus can do. Jesus said, if two or more are gathered in my name, you know, the sky's the limit. And so if, if we start imagining what God could do, I want today you to focus on what your role could be in God's kingdom. What your will could be in God's fulfilling that prayer that he called us to pray. How can you participate in what God is up to? Now let me just state from the, from the outset of this, you, you didn't choose God, he chose you. And he has already chosen you and me. Now at first blush to those theological scholars in the crowd, that may not sound like a very Wesleyan thing to say, a very Wesleyan Arminian thing to say, we didn't choose God, he chose us. But I think that's where it starts. And, and I understand that we can choose to follow God or not follow God. I get that. I understand that, 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 that uh, Jesus came and asked some people to follow him, and they said thanks, but no thanks. I've preached plenty of sermons of those stories of would-be disciples in the Gospels where Jesus went up to him and said, follow me. And the guy said, no, I can't follow you. Got to go bury my father. Follow me. No, I can't go follow you. Got to go plow my field. Follow me. No, I can't follow you. Got to go do some great things. So I get it, I get it, I get it. Just because, you know, when I preach those sermons, follow Jesus, say yes to him. But listen, before we ever choose to follow Jesus, he chose us. That's what he says in John 15. You did not choose me, I chose you. And appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. The sky's the limit. This is my command, love each other. You didn't choose me. I chose you. Now, I'll admit to you, I likes to be chosen. When I, was, uh, I, when I was growing up, me and Bobby Zuner were the smallest kids in, in class. Bobby Zuner started in kindergarten with me. We graduated in 12th grade together, and we were always the smallest kids. Some year it was Bobby Zuner, some year it was me. We were the two smallest, scrawniest kids in our class. And you know how it works on the playground. When they're picking uh, kickball teams... Usually what happens is the two biggest kids, they become the captain, and, and they start picking, and usually their first pick is to another big kid who can, you know, wallop the ball with his foot, and then they pick another kid, and another kid, and another kid, and it may be that some kids have bribed the captains, uh, you know, with an extra sandwich out of their lunch or something. Recess captains are not above bribery, and so they would, you know, bribe them a little bit. You can have my Twinkies if you pick me. And, and, and sometimes they pick their friends, and usually the last two, Robbie Prince and Bobby Zuner. Who's going to get Robbie? All right, I'll take him. Who's going to get Bobby? All right, I'll take him. I likes to be chosen. Not chosen because of my skills or lack thereof. I likes to be chosen because of the one who's doing the choosing. You see, when we look at the choices of God, we, we don't look at the, 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 the choosee, rather we look at the heart of the chooser. And the heart of the chooser, God himself, is that he chooses us not because we're the best or the brightest or the biggest or the smartest or the fastest or the prettiest or the wisest or the poorest or the richest. No, he chooses us because he loves us. Paul said it this way, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. 
And God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. And God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom of God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We didn't get here on our own. That's what Paul's trying to say. God chose you, God chose me, God chose us, not because of our accomplishments, but because he loves us. And he has this crazy notion that if we participate with him, if we join with his activity on planet Earth, that his will could be done, his kingdom could, become, could come to a place called Flint, Michigan in 2018. God chooses us. He chooses us to be his ambassadors. He chooses us to be his hands and feet. He chooses us to show the love of Jesus to the world. Peter put it this way, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession. I like that one the best that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You are a chosen people. God's special possession. And according to Peter, we are chosen, we are God's special possession, so that we might declare the glories of the one who called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Here's what I believe. God has chosen me and he's chosen you to make a difference. Chosen us to make a difference in our, in our workplace, in our school, in our homes, in, 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 in our comings and going, in our church right here. And the big question is, are, how are we going to participate? Are we going to participate? Are, am I going to allow God to, to have access to me so that I can achieve great things with him? Now, I know, I know, I know, I know all the excuses. I've heard them all. I've heard them all my whole ministry life, you know. Oh, pastor, I can't do anything. It's terrible. What can one person do? I'm not smart enough. I'm not holy enough. I'm not rich enough. I'm not... Well, I can't, well, Billy Graham, sure, he could do great. Mother Teresa, yes. Of course. Martin Luther King, you know, of course, of course. But me, no, not me. If you knew my background, if you knew my family, if you knew the dysfunction, if you saw that, then you'd give me a pass. But Jesus didn't didn't make any exceptions to these rules. He calls you and me to serve him. He calls you and me to love. He calls you and me right here, right now, to make a difference. Now, I know, I know, I know, we didn't all have the same experiences in life. Some folks uh, uh, didn't have the same advantages of others. I've dealt with families for the last 30 years. I know that some families just deal with more than their share of junk. I don't know why that is. Some families bring junk on themselves through their own, you know, stinking thinking or whatever, but they bring junk on themselves. Some people, it's no excuse, you know, no, no, whatever, and it just happens. I get that, I get that, I get that. But I know this, God calls all of us to receive his glory. He calls all of us to make a difference, no matter what our dysfunction is. In fact, you can look in the Bible. Try to think of the most dysfunctional family in the Bible. And and it doesn't take long. You can just flip through the book of Genesis and it seems like every family's dysfunctional in the book of Genesis. Adam and Eve, you know about their stories in in the garden. That's that's a mess. And then their boys, Cain and Abel, you know, they're getting a little tiff over the offering and Cain kills. If you kill your brother over the offering, you know, you can count that as dysfunctional. And the lesson learned is don't tell your brother what you're putting on the mission card. And so just be careful. 
dysfunctional mess, mess, mess. Even Noah, you know Noah's story with the boat, but Noah was a mess. And after the flood, you know, he gets drunk, he curses his grandson, it's a terrible thing. And Lot, his wife was salty, and then there was all sorts of other problems, mess, mess, mess. Abraham and Sarah, Abraham tells Pharaoh that Sarah's not his wife, but his sister, fellas, don't ever do that. Mess, 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 mess. But the most dysfunctional is probably the last family described in the book of Genesis, and that is Jacob's family. Jacob, you may remember, had, had uh, two wives, two concubines, 12 sons, I don't know how many daughters. And his first wife is a lady named Leah. Leah's name means tired eyes. Some people think that that means that, uh, that she cried a lot. That's why she had tired eyes. Other Bible scholars think that's a euphemism for uh, not very attractive, that Leah got hit by the ugly stick. And probably, you know, if she's crying a lot and her mascara's running, that's not a great look. And so, so that's Leah. And to make matters worse for poor old tired eyes, Leah, her sister is Jacob's other wife. Her sister, Rachel, drop-dead gorgeous Rachel. The poor ugly girl gets a beautiful, gorgeous sister. And so, as you might imagine, that causes a little bit of of dysfunction if if you got two wives two sisters one's pretty one's not that could cause a little bit of problem and that there was a lot of of dysfunction so rachel was jacob's favorite and rachel's two boys benjamin and joseph were jacob's favorite and and joseph the favorite of the favorite he gets he's it's you know it's known that he's the favorite the bible says that he was given my version says a richly ornamented coat when I grew up using the King James Version, it called the coat of many colors. Frank uh, Lloyd Wright called it the amazing technicolor dream coat. Whatever you want to call it, it was fancy. Probably um, for my parents' generation, uh, it would be something that Liberace would wear. Probably in my generation, it's something that, I don't know, Elton John might wear. Today, maybe Lady Gaga would be wearing that bedazzled coat. I don't know, it doesn't sound like something I want to wear, but that's a whole other story. To make matters worse, old Joseph dreamt, you know, his 12 brothers weren't happy. He's already the spoiled brat and gets the fancy coat. And, and Joseph didn't know when to be quiet and told his brothers about all these dreams he had, dreams that one day they would bow down to him, dreams that one day they would, they would you know, uh, worship uh, and adore him, all these wonderful things, and he was going to rule over them. And they had enough. And so you remember the story. Joseph goes out one day, taking him out some food. And this is what the brothers say. Here comes that dreamer. They said to each other, come now, let's kill him. Throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. And, and, and it doesn't take long. They see a caravan camel and they decided they're, they're more greedy than they are uh, 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 hateful or whatever. And so they ended up selling him to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver who take him into Egypt. There he was sold again to a guy named Potiphar and to cover their tracks, his brothers, you know, uh, put some blood on that bedazzled jacket and take it back to their daddy and say, oh, something, you know, poor Joseph. He gave up a fight, but poor Joseph. Now let me tell you, all that stuff, that qualifies for a dysfunctional family. That's a mess. And that doesn't end... Joseph's problems. Once he gets, you remember the story, once he gets to Egypt, he kind of moves up the ladder in old Potiphar's house. His wife makes a, 
uh, uh, some false accusations. The judge believes her, not Joseph. He ends up incarcerated. Once he's in prison, he's there for several years. Once he's in prison, a couple of the guys have some crazy dreams. Again, Joseph was good at interpreting those dreams. He interprets those dreams. They don't forget me. They say, we won't, we won't, we won't. They did, they did, they did. And, and, and Joseph stays in prison all longer. Eventually, eventually, you know, Pharaoh has his own dreams. They remember, he gets out and let me summarize. He's got a bad family. He had a bad work environment. He has bad friends. They don't help him. He's been cheated, lied about, falsely accused, imprisoned, forgotten. And I guess my point is, if God can choose a guy like that to make a difference, why can't he choose you and me? If God could use a guy like that with all those strikes against him, it seems like God could use us. If, if we could say, say, well, I've got my excuses are, you know, i got my own bad family, or I've got my own work troubles, or i got my own this and that. Well, so did Joseph, and yet God used him in a great way. God came and used him, and when, to answer his brother's question, here comes that dreamer, wonder what will become of his dreams. Well, what became of his dreams is everything he dreamed came true. If Joseph had been living in the 1980s when there was the big hair bands, you know, he would have just been singing that journey song, keep on believing, keep on believing. Or maybe the Aerosmith song, dream on, dream on, dream until your dreams come true. It happened. My mom just rolled over in her grave by me quoting. I don't know why I did that. Back here in the beginning, we began. And he said, we didn't choose Jesus, he chose us. And did you notice why he chose us? You didn't choose me, I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit. There it is. Not just any old fruit, but fruit that will last. So that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. That's a pretty big prayer request. Imagine that. Whatever you ask in his name, the Father will give you as you're bearing fruit. As you're bearing fruit, and how does that look? It looks like this, Jesus said, this is my command, love each other. See, Peter said that we are to declare the praises of him who brought us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Paul said... God can, can, might use us to make a difference beyond our wildest imaginations. That we are part of God's plan. That's the message here. That, that, that we didn't choose God, but God chose us. And we are part of his plan to make a difference in this whole world. You know the verse from, from Jeremiah, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. That's not simply so that we might, might sit back and drink sodas the rest of our life, but that we might make a difference for him, bearing fruit for him, declaring the praises of him, seeing his glory come about, his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That's what this is all about. And I guess my question for us is, how are you doing for that? How are you doing in, in your participating with God in the building of his kingdom? And somebody said, well, I, I just don't know how I'm going to do it. Let me explain it this way. Somebody told I needed to get a new doctor a while ago. This has been several years ago now. And, and someone recommended a, a certain doctor. And so I, I made an appointment and, and drove to his office. And I was getting out of his office, uh, at his office. There was, I noticed a guy, a big guy, um, smoking. And I, and I remember thinking as I... As I passed him going into the doctor's office, that dude is having his last couple of puffs of that cigarette before he gets in, and the doctor's going to say, lay off the cigarettes and the jelly donuts. That's exactly what I thought. So I got into the office, and, you know, wait, 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 wait. Finally, they take me back into the examining room. Wait, 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 wait. And finally comes the doctor. I've never seen him before. And who would come into the, who was the doctor? 
It was the big dude who was, who was puffing on the heater in the parking lot. And I remember thinking, this is my last time here. I don't want this guy telling me how to live a healthy lifestyle when he's out there, you know, smoking and all the rest. What's my point? He wasn't practicing what he was preaching. You want to know what you need to do? Look to the ones who were practicing what they were preaching. And Peter and Paul uh, were certainly doing that. And 1 Corinthians, Paul's writing to that church, troubled church, all sorts of problems, all sorts of, you know, whatever. And, and he's writing them, and this is what he says. Therefore, I urge you to these troubled problem people. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. Imitate me as I follow Jesus. And Paul is telling these folks, you want an example of how you can see God at work and how you can be a part of what God is doing? Imitate me. Look at my life. Examine me. Put my life under the microscope. Imitate me. And then when I read about Paul, I see that Paul was longing to, to live as Christ or to think, I, I can't wait. You know, I just long for Jesus. And he was persevering through suffering. And he lists all those things that he went through as he was suffering for Jesus. And yet he persevered. And he was enduring incredible hardships for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And through it all, he's planting churches and loving people and loving people and loving people. And it stirs me. Not necessarily even because of his words, although as glorious and wonderful as his words are, but because of his example. He's saying, follow me. And Paul was living his life so that at the end of his life, he wouldn't look back and have a whole list of regrets. Rather, he was living his life so that he wouldn't waste his life. So I want to follow like Paul followed. I want to follow even better like Jesus followed. Jesus told lots of people, follow me, follow me, follow me. And the question is, will we? See, God has chosen us to proclaim his glories. He's chosen us. To love one another, chosen us to be his witnesses, chosen us to be his hands and feet, chosen us to see his kingdom built and his will done right here, right smack dab where we're living. And it means getting, getting our eyes off of all our troubles. If you want to stay in the pit, just continue to look over and over and rehearse and re, relive all those problems in your life. And I know some people have more problems in their past than others. If you want to stay there, just keep living those problems over and over again. Or you can choose to participate with God in the building of his kingdom. You can choose to participate with God, as crazy as it seems, to see his kingdom built right here. Yesterday, we got a little glimpse of that, of what it would look like. But it's choosing to participate. If we were to circle back to these, these pledge cards, it means that we are going to participate with him and it begins with prayer. We need everybody praying. We need everybody seeking the Lord and, 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 and serving. We need everybody, everybody, everybody to give up some of your time to help others. And maybe that'll be on, you know, on the back of this card. There's things like Carriage Town or Angel Tree. That's a, that's a one-day deal. Or Reconnections or Eastside Ministry or his ministry down uh, next door. Maybe that'll mean being a classroom aide at Dylan. I don't know. Maybe it'll be helping out with our own youth program and children's program. We're always looking for folks that will be willing to serve. We need you to serve someplace. Don't just come for an hour and, and, and say, all right, I've checked off my God box. Just, we need you to serve. We need you to serve. And then, of course, we do need you to give. We've got, a lot, we've got big plans. We've got wonderful imagination of what God can do. We don't want to just keep all the money here. We want to send it out to make a difference in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and the ends, ends, ends of the earth. We're doing it. You can be excited about what God is doing, but we need you to participate. So pray this week, would you, about what 
what God would have you to do? Every one of us should be able to check the pray, and every one of us should be able to check give. Even, even if it is just, if you weren't planning on giving anything, even if it is just $102 a week, half a Starbucks, that's all it is, and you can help make a difference. And every one of us can serve someplace. Doesn't mean you have to go away on a short-term mission trip to Panama, although we'd love you to. But you can serve at Dillon. You can serve right here. You can serve at his ministry. You can serve at all these places. Find a place where you can make a difference in this world. And imagine, Lord, we can just imagine of what could happen as your name is lifted high and as your name is praised and as we shine your light into our dark world. We can imagine the news stories and the reports coming out of Genesee County as how you have absolutely transformed this place. Not simply in the churches, but in our schools and in our, in our streets and wherever we, we go and whatever we see that there is healing and reconciliation and love might abound. We believe that you can do such things and that you call us to participate in that. So help us, Lord. Give us a great week, a great year ahead. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.